Welcome back to The Five Things, this week in social. You know, each week we dive deep into five topics in social so that we can tell you everything you need to know to start the year in the know. Whoa. Uh, It's a new year, but we've got the same crew. Amanda Davis is here. Hi, Amanda Davis. Hey, Joey. Uh, Tommy Boyce is also here. Hello, Tommy. Hello, hello. I'm Joey Scarillo, and these are the five things. Uh, First up, Tommy talks TikTok. Love that alliteration. Um, And he's going to talk about their first partnership with Atmosphere. Then Amanda's going to tell us how TikTok tested a new repost option. Uh, And then Tommy dives into Instagram, whose chief outlined their new focus for the app in 2022. Uh, Amanda tells us about how shopping on social media is projected to hit $1.2 trillion by 2025. And finally, Tommy predicts the future. Will 2022 be the year of the algorithm reckoning? Uh, All right. First up is Tommy. Let's get into TikTok and atmosphere. Tommy, take it away. So dramatic, Joey. Um, I love it. So it looks like TikTok is coming to a dentist's office near you. TikTok's already made efforts to break into the TV space. They launched and integrated a new app called TikTok TV with Amazon Fire TV and other smart TVs soon followed. But they just announced a partnership with Atmosphere, a startup that provides licensed and curated streamed video content for commercial venues like Weston, Taco Bell, and Texas Roadhouse, as well as doctor's offices, gyms, and other venues where people spend time in liminal spaces. The partnership will see Atmosphere develop a new channel on its platform dedicated to curated TikTok videos. It'll be the first time that TikTok content is being used for an out-of-home video service. Now, I haven't heard about Atmosphere prior to this at all, but the company does have credentials. They raised $100 million and doubled the number of venues using its service last year to 19,000, covering almost 20 million monthly unique viewers. Although Atmosphere already purposes content for platforms like YouTube and channels that it builds, this will be the company's first channel dedicated to a single social media brand. I think this is a really interesting move for TikTok. They're already looking for more opportunities to expand to a wider variety of screens, specifically TV screens. And this gives it an opportunity to, I think, repurpose and give new life to the long tail of its back catalog of videos that might no longer get picked up for viewing by the algorithm on the actual app. There's so much content on TikTok. There's millions and millions of videos being made every day. I think this partnership will give the platform a chance to highlight the content that makes it such a compelling and powerful app and have it be viewed by 20 million people a month waiting to get their teeth clean, waiting to get, you know, food. I think it's a great way to present a clear and positive brand image because it's curated videos. You get to choose what's actually being seen people to people that might not already be on the app. So I think it's a great way to just get what makes TikTok so special in the faces of people who might not already be using it. So I think it's a really, it's, it's, it's unexpected. I saw this headline, I didn't know what to make of it, but I think it's a really, you know, just fun and fresh move for the brand. So if you didn't know what TikTok was, uh, when you're sitting in your dentist office, you could now. Um, question for you, Amanda, do you think this is a bigger story for TikTok or a bigger story for Atmosphere? I think this is a bigger story for TikTok. And specifically, as 
we obviously are talking about the strategy of showing up in places where, you know, perhaps that audience isn't already on TikTok or doesn't think TikTok has content that they'd be interested in. Um, it's also a story. And I think that these details are probably to be fleshed out, but for a way to connect creators with new methods of monetization. So I would assume that the videos that are being licensed and used in these places, um, the creators are getting some kind of, uh, you know, monetization from that. Um, I don't think that those details have been released or are clear yet. But if you think about, again, ways that creators on TikTok make money, essentially, um, there's a couple of routes that they could do it. But to Tommy's point, being able to pull a back catalog of content that they've made over years, for instance, um, and still make money on that content and have it be relevant and be seen by new people, it's really, really supportive move for TikTok to put their creators in that position. So I'm interested to see how they uh, tie that into the partnership. So Tommy, do you think it's a good fit? I do think it's a good fit. I think it's a unique fit. But when I actually looked into this, I was like, oh, this is, um, it's just like a fun new way for TikTok to get itself out there. I remember when I saw, first started seeing TikTok commercials on TV, I was like, oh, I wonder like what the target audience is. I wonder why they're actually on TV when they're such a hot commodity and everyone knows what TikTok is. But I think it's always just getting yourself out there, getting in front of people. And I think as opposed to TV commercial, being able to actually show like what's the proofs and the pudding, what actually makes TikTok so special is really invaluable. So I think in this case, it's a really great fit. All right. So staying with TikTok, uh, Amanda, why don't you tell us about how TikTok is testing a new repost option? All right. This is kind of interesting. TikTok is basically testing its own version of a retweet button that allows users to essentially amplify videos to their own followers from their feed. So this button is located where you would normally send a video either to a friend or to a text message thread or to another social media site. Um, but this obviously resends it to the people that mutually follow you on the platform. Um, what's kind of interesting about this is it only sends the video to your you, your friends for you feeds. Um, and also, again, you have to mutually follow someone for it to show up in your algorithm feed. I think a lot of people probably, myself included, had concerns that this might dilute some of the content on the platform. If we remember way back to uh, the Vine days when you could revine each other's uh, video content, it was the beginning of a problem that you're also seeing on Instagram where there's essentially this spam culture where people plus up and retweet and revine each other um, for more visibility, essentially. So I think a lot of people were a little bit concerned about that, but some of the logistics on how this works, again, needing to mutually follow each other is, is a big part of how this will function on the platform. And then also you can't repost any video on the platform. You have to repost something that was served directly to you. So it's more so a way for them to amplify the algorithm that they know is already working and has a lot of data behind it versus just blindly sharing something to an audience. So it does sound like they're being thoughtful about this um, and what it could include and, and the kind of content it could amplify. But curious to see if it becomes everybody just reposting each other's TikTok videos. Yeah, we'll get more into the uh, algorithm later, but I am curious. Um, Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Twitter try to limit the amount of retweets a couple years back or like how, how retweeting could happen? And I guess my question is to you then, do you see this, do you see any potential problem uh, for TikTok to go down this road or any watchouts? I do remember Twitter did something like this a while back. I don't remember the logistics. 
when I saw this, my first thought was, like Amanda said, I mean, I grew up in the heyday of vines. Remember revining um, and how that was, you know, a whole like cottage community, cottage community, cottage industry. That's a phrase. Um, maybe not. But I, my first thought was, I wonder how this might affect misinformation on the platform. Because, you know, that's something TikTok has to struggle with. It's something that every platform has to struggle with. But then, like it said, there is thought put behind this because it has to be video sourced directly to your algorithm. But then if you have a friend who maybe is on a not great side of TikTok, then you could start seeing these things. So it, there's a lot of issues, I think, that could come up with this. I mean, that's something that TikTok will have to struggle with just as it exists as a platform in 2022, because that's the year now, friends. Um, I think a difference between this and Twitter, obviously, is that when you repost something, it's not on your feed. Whereas we, when you retweet something, it's in your profile, it's in your feed. It's always a marker that you retweeted this. And I guess that you like stand by it or that you just like it. So I think that it's an interesting way to kind of make it easier to get the content that you like out there, which is a, a total positive. I think this paired with the other story shows that TikTok is trying to make itself more accessible for people who might not already, you know, be in the know and know how to function on the app totally, you know, like flawlessly, like a Gen Z, like true kind of wonder kind. But I'm interested to see how this will affect um, misinformation and how this will kind of change the scope of how people interact with the platform. Because if you're inundated with feeds that are not like your own, that you don't like the content, I wonder if that will push people away from the app potentially. Because if you're being service videos that you don't vibe with, that's kind of the whole point of TikTok. It's the for you page. So I think it'll be interesting to see how well you mess with people. And because it's your followers, I sure will be, I'm, I think it'll be fine, but it could be, um, it could be an issue potentially. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, 2022 is the year, Tommy. That's true. So why don't you tell us about what Adam Masseri has planned for 2022 on Instagram? Yeah. So Instagram chief Adam Masseri took to the front facing camera to highlight the key areas the app is going to focus on in 2022. The two key themes that Insta will be focused on will be video and control, which, you know, is giving Big Brother, but we'll we'll see what <laughs> how this actually turns out. Um, on the video front, Masseri says that, you guessed it, reels will remain a key focus. He stated that Instagram will double down on our focus on video and consolidate all of our video formats around reels. Now, in practice, this means basically that real clips are being integrated into the main Instagram feed, while Insta already merged its video formats back in October and has since been automatically defaulting shorter videos into real clips as it looks to expand Reel's reach and exposure. Masiri also stated that Instagram will be focusing on making messaging a bigger focus on the app and will add more monetization for creators in the app. And the final element that he brought up is transparency providing users with more insight into how Instagram works. And this will probably come partially in the fact that Instagram is, again, rolling out chronological feed options, which will give users the capacity to easily switch to a reverse chronological feed instead of the current algorithm. Now, obviously, this effort to focus on video comes from the effects of TikTok, Instagram's nemesis at this point. And Instagram has gone about trying to compete with TikTok by shall we say, being inspired by TikTok. But from an overall usage standpoint, these efforts have worked. Back in June, Mark Zuckerberg noted that Reels had become the largest contributor to engagement growth on Instagram. And with broader consumer shifts towards you know, short-form content, short-form video, I think it makes sense for Instagram to continue to move with the times and align with video. I also think the move to focus on messaging 
is really smart because personally, I find that on any social platform, I use Instagram as messaging the most. And I like the fact that Misery is putting real weight behind people swiping up on stories, which is like, you know, fun kind of culture that's unique to Instagram. I think there are plenty of ways for Instagram to remain relevant and strong in the in the new year and in the future. But I'm interested to see if, you know, again, borrowing from TikTok will help it maintain and grow a connection to its younger audiences. So I'm interested to see what uh, you guys think about this. Yeah, Amanda, are you um, are you optimistic about the emphasis on transparency? Yeah, I think it's transparency. And it's also, again, we saw Twitter, especially in 2021, really listen to the audience and what they wanted and what they were doing on the platform. But we, I think we talked about it uh, a couple months back. Is like they were kind of the only platform to do that. Like most other platforms were operating in a way of trying to control the behavior a little bit more or at least dictate the behavior. And I think that not only does this sound like it's going to be more transparent, but it also sounds like it's going to be more of a dialogue with the users and with the platform, which they don't have the luxury to not, you know, take user feedback and understand what people want from the platform. Even small things like the chronological time feed are really huge updates that I think a lot of people just didn't think were going to happen um, and definitely didn't see Instagram making that change. So I hope that they take a, a page out of that book and continue a little bit further. Yeah, I think this is all all good, exciting stuff. They're taking what's working and they're pushing that versus trying to, again, like push a new format or a new behavior that maybe wouldn't feel natural for the platform. Yeah. And so, Tommy, you mentioned that you you like the the messaging emphasis. Do you, you think that is sort of a natural progression? Do you use the messaging very often? I do, actually. Um, I use it quite a bit. I think it's a really great way that, I mean, talk about TikTok. You don't really message on TikTok, I feel like. I mean, you send videos and you like them and maybe give a little like, haha, or, you know, comment to it, but you don't really engage in actual conversation, which I do on Instagram. I talk to people, I will text people and also be talking to them on Instagram about two different things at the same time. And that's fun. It's a way to communicate. I think Instagram knows that that's actually a unique leveraging point that they have over other platforms. And I think Instagram putting weight behind that is a really smart move because of how it's already working. I think, as you said, Amanda, building on stuff that's already been successful is the way forward for them in this new year and the way that they'll keep reaching and maintaining new audiences. Yeah, I there are people that I only communicate with on Instagram and most of it is just sharing memes back and forth or on TikTok, just sharing TikToks back and forth. And um, just to be candid, if you were to look at my wife and I's conversation on Instagram, it's just all dog videos back and forth. So you know, we're, we're using the, the messaging, right? I think that's what he would have intended. Yeah. That's I think Adam wants. that's what it's for. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about shopping, uh, on social media, which is projected to hit. I'm going to say this number again, $1.2 trillion. That's insane. By 2025, Amanda, talk to us about it. That is a lot of money. Um, so in a new study conducted by Accenture, um, they're essentially projecting that between 2021 and 2025, um, the social commerce market will grow two and a half times in, what, four years from what's currently at $492 billion, which is a lot, to $1.2 trillion, which is a lot more. Um, one thing I want to clarify, too, is this is actually referring to transactions that take place entirely within the context of a social media platform. So this doesn't include click-throughs from banner ads or you know go to the site to learn more about X, Y, and Z. This is specifically talking about interactions that happen solely in the social apps that are relevant to the global market. Um, 
This was a study that was across uh, the entire globe, China, Brazil, US, and some other countries. So this is pretty exciting. Um, and also just to contextualize it a little bit more, that's the social commerce market is expected to go three times faster than the traditional e-commerce market. So if you think about how often people use e-com, you know, buying anything online or through apps, three times faster than that just through social transactions is kind of staggering. Um, some other things that I thought were really interesting from this report, uh, the highest growth area is expected to be clothing. So it's looking to be 18% of all social commerce by 2025, which is huge, followed by consumer electronics and home decor. Uh, also, something I didn't want us to skip over is fresh food and snacks being a large product category, specifically in China. And obviously, China trends usually ripple around the world, and we'll see that hit uh, the other markets after that. But I find that really interesting and an area that we would probably want to keep looking at and seeing how that grows. So there's a lot of really interesting stats. I, I urge you to read the report. I think we'll link it out to the from the podcast. But this is big news. I think it's not unexpected that social commerce is growing, but I think this would be a lot faster and a lot quicker than we might think. So, you know, for brands and marketers understanding do you have does it make sense to have a social commerce extension? Um, what platforms could do the the, the heaviest lifting for you and what's the strategy there is all, you know, more important than ever. So my question then, if I'm somebody who doesn't shop on social or is very apprehensive, am I, am I truly missing out on something or is it just the convenience of being able to not leave the app you're in that makes this so appealing? I think it's both. And I, and part of the study too, does talk about discovery versus accessibility, because those are the two things that social obviously gives you from a commerce perspective is, you know, finding new products, something that you might not even know that you wanted. Um, and this changes between each generation. Um, younger consumers are obviously more interested in finding new products and new brands and new things that they may want to support or, or try out. Whereas older shoppers are more focused on finding deals, pricing and discounts. Same uh, with the actual markets themselves. The UK and the US shoppers currently place more importance on finding discounts or finding something that they want for a more affordable rate. So there's a lot of nuance in how not only the age of audience, but also the market actually impacts that behavior. Um, and it'll, it'll keep changing, I'm sure, too. But I think to, to answer your question is there's discoverability and there's ease of, of purchase, essentially. Yeah. This just makes me think like, okay, so if this is 1.2 trillion across, a, you know, a number of apps for the next three years, is that even a drop in the bucket for Amazon? I mean, we don't have to answer that question because we're not economists, but like, it just kind of blows your mind, right? Like, is the, it will... Amazon even feel the effects of something like this. But my question to you, Tommy, and, and, and Amanda as well, did either of you do any holiday shopping from an Instagram or a TikTok? I did do holiday shopping on Instagram. Nice. Um, because I saw, I saw a lovely shirt that I gave to a cousin. Um, and I realized that I'm part of the problem. That's this is why I'm not the problem. That's just the it's just the future. It's how it is now. I mean, yeah. the thing that's not surprising to me is, of course, social commerce is on the uptick. The fact that it's so much more than e-commerce is just like that's insane to me. And I'm I'm someone who doesn't really shop on Instagram that much. Like once in you know blue moon occasionally, I still go to like my you know typical sites or whatever. 
but seeing this massive trend and this massive uptick, it's just like, it's staggering. Like 1.2 trillion is such a, <laughs> it's such a colossal number. I'm just laughing about it. Um, but yeah. How about you, Amanda? Yes, I purchased things for myself. I wouldn't say I was holiday shopping. I did purchase things for myself throughout the holiday. Um, but I also, it's a big testament too, to the fact that what you're describing, Tommy, is like almost like accidental shopping. It's non-intentional most of the time, especially when we talk about gifting, which I, I'm sure there's data around how many gifts were purchased through social commerce, and I'm sure it's a lot. Um, but when you think about the fact that like you're going to these platforms to have some kind of social or lifestyle experience, you're not really in the defensive mindset. You are in a welcoming kind of, you want content, you want to discover new things, you want to think about something else that you haven't seen before, whatever that may be. And I think that when, especially Gen X, millennials, older Gen Z are in shopping destinations, you have a different mindset than when you're in a social you know, setting or an entertainment setting, and you're more likely to purchase something all those little one-off purchases that may catch you off guard, eventually are going to equal $1.2 trillion. Yeah. Um, all right. So Tommy, take us home with uh, the fifth and final thing here today. Will 2022 be the year of the algorithm reckoning? Let us know. Yes, yeah, so this isn't so much of a story as a trend forecast, a very dramatic one. I literally gave it that title because, you know, drama, love it. Um, but I think, so if to me, if there was a single story from 2021, besides the metaverse, obviously, shout out Amanda, <laughs> um, it would be the sheer amount of attention and criticism that social media platforms received over their, their algorithms. We've talked about TikTok with, you know, it's now slightly more knowable algorithm and where in people wondering where the shockingly detailed data it receives from its users is going. And of course, there was the Facebook whistleblowing scandal, which blew a lid on Insta, knowing that it was harming the mental health of its teenage users. So as we're moving into this new year with companies facing claims that they prioritize profits over people in service of keeping these algorithms, and these platforms are facing mounting pressure to reform the ways in which their platforms are built to be addictive for users. This week, we highlighted a great article in Time that details how this increased scrutiny could signal that social media industry's current business model is due for a significant disruption. I mean, we talked about how social media companies are compared to big tobacco for the ways in which their products are addictive and profitable, but ultimately could be unhealthy. Well, could be if tobacco's unhealthy, but social media could be unhealthy for users. And social media's biggest players are facing growing calls for both accountability and regulatory action. In order to make money, these platforms' algorithms effectively function to keep users engaged and scrolling through content, and by extension, you know, advertisements to make money for as long as possible. And I think it's interesting, Big Tobacco was disrupted by a mass campaign that informed users about how the product was addictive and harmful. And we may soon see the same thing happen for social platforms. There's bipartisan consensus growing and a house bill dubbed the Filter Bubble Transparency Act that would require platforms to offer a version of their services where content is, and I quote, not selected by opaque algorithms. Sounds like it was made by people, you know, who were <laughs> beyond their time. But government intervention seems inevitable this new year. And I think there's going to be a big shakeup this year in how platforms act in their algorithms. And we're seeing Instagram already 
kind of tackle this with bringing back the chronological feed as a way to, for users to turn off the algorithm and go back to the old days pre it's you know algorithm based on engagement and i think it'll be interesting to see just how platforms are forced to adapt or adapt naturally and the consequences of i think that choice too will be interesting like instagram is kind of you know they faced rightfully so massive blowback they're getting ahead of the grade but how platforms who are forced by the government or by other intervention will adapt to this you know massive change so big question for you amanda i think it'd be helpful for if you could explain a little bit about how moving forward how web3 sort of rejects the algorithm could you sort of explain that a little bit just so we sort of under merge current story with another yeah, and Web3, for anyone not familiar, is essentially the next movement of the internet that really focuses on decentralization and ownership of economy and privacy and data. When we think about how people are utilizing not only Web3 technology, but also, you know, internet presence, it feels a little bit, to Tommy's earlier point, big brothery to have an algorithm that measures all of your data that you don't really have insight to, that you don't have transparency into, that you don't own, where people, where I would say corporations and especially tech giant corporations are making a profit off of that data that we as the user don't see. So that is this, the simplified version of why a lot of people are looking to utilize Web3 browsers, apps, um, other kinds of technology, purchase technology, transaction technology, et cetera, um, that allow them to secure their data own their data, and if if they want to, monetize it. I know that's like something that we haven't really understood as an internet society yet is we are the owners of information that people pay for. Is there a way that the user can make money off of it? Um, and so when you think about the algorithm, to again, Tommy's point, this is a place where it is an advertising-based structure that may change and that might be impacted by people's appetite to... Um, own and decide what happens with their data. That was great, Amanda. Um, I think that's awesome context and really helps us sort of understand where these things are moving. All right, gang. Well, that wraps it up. Uh, this was an awesome kickoff to 2022. I'm so excited to be back on the mic with you, Amanda, and with you, Tommy. As we wrap up here, if you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify or literally wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, any points of interest, or even a complaint, send it over to podcast at gray.com. I want to say thank you again to Amanda and Tommy for joining us. And thanks to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. Thank you. See you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.